Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Sheila. And we're taking you through private eyes. This episode, we are talking about sensitive information that may be upsetting to some listeners. Just wanted to warn you. This case has brought so many people forward. I think by the time it's over, I will have spoken to everybody in the community. I have gotten phone calls, messages. People have written me about the 911 location. It is clear to me now and everybody that I work with, all the other investigators, that all 911 calls go through Morris County, and that is not unusual. So to that point, I want to say we understand now that it goes through Morris County, and that is normal. Morris County 911, what's your emergency? I need Cass County 911. I'm sorry? I'm in Cass County. I need Cass County 911. Okay, stay online, okay? All right. The other thing I want to point out, if we have gotten anything incorrect, I want you to let me know, and I appreciate people letting me know. I did get a message on YouTube from Jay Cates saying that I had misinformation. I did reach out to him at his office, and I reached out to him on YouTube. I have not heard back from him. I would assume if I did have information incorrectly, he would want to correct me and call me back. I am more than willing to correct anything, talk to anybody. I'm willing to talk to Jeff if he feels like we've gotten something wrong. He is more than welcome at any time to make a phone call to me. When we came up with the idea of Catherine and I doing a podcast together, and then we brought Danielle in, we thought we would just kind of teach people how the defense and the victim side look at cases. This case was brought to us by a family member, and she's talked about the case. She is a private investigator, but because she is a family member, It's a conflict of interest for her to do what we're doing now. Haley is totally out of this. Haley has no input on this podcast, nor is she working this investigation. And the reason that we're discussing this now is because it wasn't properly investigated and because we have questions that are unanswered. In this episode, we're going to talk about the scene at Jeff's house. So based upon the FOIA requests and open records that we submitted to Cass County, we are going to base observations on the information that we received, including the photos and the documentation. So some of the things that we have received that we're going to discuss in this episode, and again, keep in mind that it might not be everything that exists. It's just what we have so far. Jeff calls in and says, Danny shot herself. A, a girl that I'm with just shot herself. I need an ambulance and a police officer at Two Springs, Texas. Is she still alive? No, I don't think so. Uh, she. All right, what is your name? Jeff Wellborn. Then we're following the evidence, right? So 
the scene at Jeff's house shows Danny on the ground outside of the truck. Uh, how, she, how she looks or anything? No, she's dead, dude. She's sitting here in the front seat of the truck. And okay, I what got, ma- what, and what makes you think that she is? She shot herself in the fucking head with a okay. forty-five. So y'all are going to be outside of a residence in a truck? Yes. What well, that's blood all over the right side of her head. Uh, uh, right the right on nine one one to get her out of the truck and lay her flat. Yeah. Will you lay her flat on her back and remove any pillows? I did. Okay. When EMS comes and um, Sartain's body cam footage shows, you know, Jeff kind of walking around, and we've talked about all of that. In the back seat. But I mean, You're not under arrest, no. I just, I just don't want to, I want to make you from I understand. Let me sit right here, not in the car. Please. You, I'm gonna leave the door open for you. I, I, I don't want to sit down. I don't want to sit down at all. Now, the next thing I kind of want to see is all of those photos that have been documented. So, Danielle, what photos do we have? And based on looking at a big picture again, what do we think we don't have? Well, we have pictures of the truck. However, there's not that many of them. And some are also, um, the flash was either off or the flash saturated the photos. So it's too bright. Uh, but we do have a picture of the front floorboard passenger side where the gun is laying on the floorboard. Now the gun is also in dirt. So for dirt to get on top of that gun, was it thrown down onto the floorboard that it accumulated that dirt? Uh, but for it to be on both sides, it obviously came in contact with dirt at some point. With the pictures that we do have, it doesn't appear that there is any blood on the seatbelt unless it is on the back of the seatbelt in which there was not a picture taken or we don't have that picture. The pictures that we have are of just where Danny was sitting and the back passenger seat. And so we're basing all of our observations on that. How many pictures do we have? What's the number? 39 pictures at the scene, not counting Jeff. Okay. So there's 39 pictures of the scene that include some clothing on the ground, the pictures of the truck, not extensive pictures of the truck, some pictures of the truck, some pictures of where the casing was found, right, in the truck, and then the back seat of the passenger side. What else is in there? So it starts with pictures of the trailer, then the outside of Jeff's truck, Danny's clothing that is laying outside of the truck where she was receiving medical treatment. Uh, and then there are pictures of the interior truck, all All of them are from the passenger side view. There are no pictures taken from the driver's side. I think what's really important to note based on that, as viewers of the pictures, who for people that were not at the scene, it's really important that we have a very comprehensive understanding of what took place. So if I'm trying to walk through a scene and understand how a suicide unfolded, I need a picture of every single thing from three different angles, 
zooming up so that it paints the picture. So I don't have all of these questions. And that's where we're at. When you are trained to go to any scene, whether it's a car accident or any any police call, you should have a lot of documentation. The easiest documentation are pictures. And the one thing that Catherine just said is you should have it from different angles. We have about 39 pictures. Think about that. 39 pictures, an insurance company expects more than 39 pictures at, at a car accident. What we don't have are, is anything from the driver's side. We also don't have an extensive number of pictures taken. The way that you're supposed to document evidence at a scene when it comes to taking pictures is it's not a comprehensive documentation of the scene. So there are, there's the whole side of Jeff's, of Jeff's truck, the driver's side, missing. If the shooting happened in the truck and the blood spatter would have, based on the trajectory of the bullet, the blood spatter would have potentially been on the driver's side. And there's no way for us to tell whether or not that happened. Yeah, it's like the officer didn't even walk around to the other side of the truck to open the door and take pictures. It's all just from the passenger side, but not focused on the driver's side. So we don't have photos from all angles. It's impossible to tell. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What you should be able to do from a scene is to look at where the victim was and be able to trace exactly what happened. You should be able to trace where the bullet entered and exit and where it hit the seat, where the bullet went through anything, a window, a seat, floor, wherever. An officer on the scene should be able to reenact everything that happened that night in that car. You should also have a bullet. You should have a hole. You should have casing. And all of those things should be tested against the gun. If you can't go into a crime scene and tell me where and what happened, that is not the crime scene. Right. We have the casing, but there is an exit wound, but there is no hole where the bullet would have ended up. And there is no bullet. I want to talk about where the casing was found. So the casing was found in the passenger front door side pocket, laying on its side behind. I don't know if it was like a CD or a book. It was behind something. So in the picture, though, the officer had to move whatever was in the way of the casing. I find that very interesting. So what we're looking at is in the passengers, the front passenger side pocket of the door, there is what looks like an orange cloth of some kind. 
can't, I can't make out what that is. But then there is also a plastic container that looks like the same kind of small container you would buy from a hardware store with screws in it. And so the casing looks like it is behind the plastic container of sorts. And so in one picture, it's just the picture of the side pocket where you can't see the casing. And then in the next picture is the person who is documenting moving the plastic to take a picture of the casing. Casing doesn't necessarily have to be from that bullet, that night, that gun. If you don't have the bullet to test it against, how do we know that that casing wasn't there or wasn't put there? I don't know how they could rule it a suicide if they didn't have go through the due diligence of testing everything. I don't understand why a police department did not recover the bullet and did not take a picture of the bullet and did not send it to Swift's to be tested. There was an exit wound. To be very, very clear, there was an exit wound. I tilted her back. You can feel her head fucking being squishy. There should be a bullet. There should be a hole somewhere. People logically can look and say, where is the bullet? Why that night did the police not ask that one question? And to your point, Sheila, the fact that there's no bullet should put into question whether or not it happened in the truck. And that should move the investigation forward. The people on the scene, the medical personnel in the hospital, there's an exit wound. It says in the autopsy, there is an exit wound. So where is the documentation from Cass County or the responding officers not wondering themselves where the bullet is? They don't even address that in their documentation. For the casing to go into the front side pocket, what angle would Danny have to be sitting in order for the casing to fall in that pocket? And that is the question the police should have asked. Bullet casings can end up anywhere, but as a police officer or someone who does reenactment, you've got to tell me how it made it into the area it did, because that is all science and physics. That's all it is. It's evidence. You should be able to recreate and show someone it ricocheted here, here, and landed here. Remember, you've got something blocking it a little bit. You also have the the armrest. So how did it get there? Well, I think that when it comes to things like that, it's not as easy as physics because every single time that you would shoot a gun in that position, a hundred times, the casing would land somewhere new every time because every bullet is going to fire differently and hit somewhere differently and ricochet differently it wouldn't follow the same trajectory every single time. I understand what you're saying. If you were in a car shooting, it's never going to be the same. And I agree with you. You're never going to recreate the exact environment that happened that night. But a Pharaoh machine can go in and scientifically show you what happened that moment. Right. Okay. That makes sense. I see what you're saying. That it has to be shown that it was possible. Well, the feral machine would also 
use the trajectory of where a bullet hole would be also. So the truck, it does have brain matter on the seats. It has blood, it's cloth on the seats. Whenever I have cases that involve anything that would be an insurance policy or a claim, I have an expert I go to. I called him and asked him about a shooting and said there was blood on the seats, a little brain matter, not very much, no bullet hole, no windows shattered. What would happen to the truck? If you called to make a claim, they would take pictures, probably more pictures than the police took. And then they would clean it. So there are people that clean scenes with blood. And so they would just come in and clean it out. If there was a hole in one of the seats, the insurance company would then replace the seat. That's it. So did that happen? Well, and so what you're saying is that the car would not be deemed totaled. No. When I heard the truck was not impounded, and there's no documentation that the truck was impounded, I was floored. So there had to be a process of cleaning the truck. What happened to it afterwards? When we found out that the truck wasn't impounded, we wanted to find out what happened to the truck. And we looked into it and found out that it was sold shortly after. While going through the files, we noticed that there was a submission form for GSR. Jeff and Danny were both on the submission. Jeff's GSR was not submitted. Evidence was received by the lab from Cass County Sheriff. One of the family members was told by Roy Barker that Jeff's GSR was not submitted. That's where we got that information initially. But then we came across a document that shows a submission form to SWIFTS, the lab, that shows that the evidence is listed as submitted. However, there's no submission receiving information from SWIFTS. So we should be able to review discovery or the evidence that we've received. It shouldn't be this difficult. And if you have questions about how procedurally things work, call, call and ask them. Because this is one of the problems that we're having right now. We don't have results of Jeff's GSR. We have results of Danny's GSR. And there should be a number that correlates to Jeff's GSR from SWIFTS. Now, of course, we have Danny's result. The results that came back on Danny was that GSR was on her left palm only. Again, that's very important information. They're both listed on the same form. So we are not understanding how the evidence was received by the lab, what was tested, what wasn't. If if submission form is online, if it's verbal, if the form is a formality. We don't know any of these things because we don't know how the receiving agency processes information. It's almost as if this is an online formality that you fill out. So Catherine picked up the phone to dial SWIFTS. Here is the first recording. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm a private investigator and I'm reviewing a document on a case of mine. And I just have some basic questions. Is there someone that I can speak to about your evidence submission forms? 
Um, it, it depends. Um, do you know uh, what that case number is? Um, yeah, it's just basic information, though. It, I, we don't need to review the case. Is it like, do you have like our IFS number or something? Okay, I'll, I'll, let me give you a little background here. I'm looking at an evidence submission form where there are two evidence listings, okay? There's no receiving information. In other words, for the lab use, the IFS case number is not filled out, nor is the submission information, the tag number or invoice number completed. However, of the two items of evidence that are listed, one of them we have received the results of. The other one we have not. And they're both for GSR. I'm trying to figure out under what circumstance would we not be receiving the other result of the GSR and how is your evidence submission form completed? Is it online? How are you receiving the information? And so why would I see this form in discovery without the submission information completed or the lab use IFS case number? Okay, let me see if I can get some uh, more information. Do you have a complaint or a suspect for that case since it's no IFS number? No. Nothing? No. Uh, do you have any details on an individual or like a PD case number? No, I really, at this point, I really just want to understand how some how an officer submits the evidence and why I'm looking. I just have these open-ended questions of not understanding why I don't see the submission information and the IFS case number information completed by y'all. Okay, let me see if I can get a hold of a supervisor. Hold on a Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So the first time I called, he put us on hold for too long and I ended up hanging up and calling back. This is Catherine. Yes, my name is Stacy, and I'm from the Dallas County Crime Lab. Hi, Stacy. Thank you so much for calling me back so fast. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Can I help you? Yeah. So I just have a couple of, I'm just trying to understand a document that I'm looking at. So it's basic procedural questions that I have right now. Um, I'm looking at an evidence submission form that has an, two evidence listings of GSR for two different individuals. And I am, when we received the results back for one of them, but not the other, and there's no submission information, tag number, invoice number, or the IFS case number logged. And so I'm just trying to understand how how you receive your information. Like, is this submission form through online? Is it hand-delivered with the samples? How, how would you receive it? And then why would we only have one result? Well, so we don't actually even require a submission form. I'll start there. Okay. Okay, so sometimes we receive evidence and there's no submission form. Um, and as long as somewhere on the evidence item, there's some indication of the agency and the agency case number, then we'll, you know, reach out to the agency and say, hey, you submitted this in our lockbox or you mailed this to us. Can you give us more information? So we'll start there. So there are no requirements on a submission form for what the agency puts on it, first of all. Okay. Um, okay. We do need, in order to create a case, we need an agency case number and the agency. And so if we don't have that, we don't, our system won't allow us to create a case. Well, just because things are submitted to us, because we're a fee-for-service agency, does not mean that we analyze all items. 
So sometimes evidence is submitted to us. We will reach out to the agency and say, hey, we've received this evidence. Do you want all of it worked? Some of it worked? What would you like done? And so sometimes they'll submit something and decide they don't want it worked. Got it. Okay, so it would be a verbal don't work this one? Mm-hmm. Or it could be email communication. Sure, sure. Some sort of communication with the agency. It wouldn't necessarily be communicated to us on a submission form. Got it. So what is the formality of the of the submission form if it's not even protocol that you have to receive it in a written form like this? It facilitates communication of information. Okay, got it. So we, we provide it to agencies so that they can let us know. Because those are all things, depending, I don't know what year of, you know, our submission form has changed over the years. So I sure. don't know what version you might be looking at. Okay. Um, and so over the years, it has morphed to include more information. Sometimes the submitter is not the, in, is not the agency or the individual who is paying for the testing, right? So they might communicate that information to us on the submittal form. Okay. But those are all things that we would seek out from the agency once we got the submission. We don't necessarily just take what's on the submission form, do testing, report it, and bill it without having any communication with the agency. That makes sense. That does make sense. Okay. Okay. Um, thank you so much. Um, okay. All right. You have a great day. You too. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Right. What was the communication after this, um, I don't know, willy-nilly form that may or may not be important (laughs) was documented? And why would they put it on the form and then call back and say, don't do it? I mean, there's so many different reasons. I I understand now what she was saying, though. Like, it's a private agency. So they've supplied a form to make it easy for an agency. They could have written it, thrown it in the file, then actually physically taken it over and said, hold off on this one. We're not ready to test it yet, or we don't want to pay for it yet. Like there's so many different variables that could have just, you know, taken place that we just don't have the answers to. We know that Roy Barker and Kathy Kaysen showed up to the scene after Danny was taken away. What I want to know is which one of them swabbed Jeff for GSR who tagged and bagged it and sent it off. And to that point, who assessed him for blood? Who was the one who checked to see if he had blood or any markings on him and obtained his clothing? Okay. I got fucking blood all over me. You got blood on your hands? Yeah. Uh, uh, I got a tattoo on 911 to get her out of the truck and light her flat. Yeah. In this episode, we have only touched the surface. We've gone over broad strokes of the paperwork and the documents and compared what Jeff said on the 911 call and what the scene should look like. It's important to take the words of whoever called in a 911 call and compare it to the scene. And the question is, did the scene match the words that were said on the 911 call? So the investigator should be able to match up the pictures with the blood trail and his hands and the evidence on his body. I think too, it's worth noting that as we're getting information and we are forming opinions or just discussing live on air, 
in the whole process, because we're working this in real time, we're getting calls from people, we're getting more information and that uh, and our view on things is subject to change. So keep in mind, we could feel one way about something and then get supplemental information that changes that. With the help of y'all, we can end up hopefully getting to the bottom of it. So keep these calls coming. On a side note, any tips do remain confidential and we will keep you anonymous. 